Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Authorised Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. Good day, Nick. How are you going? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. It's kind of like Groundhog Day. Back oh, in lockdown no. once again. <laughs> Can you believe it? Do you think we get back to this? Uh, I think we've done really, really well to avoid it thus far. Uh, when we look at our, compa- our ANZAC compadres over the ditch, yes, that's indeed. pretty bad over there. So I think, look, it was probably only a matter of time. Um, you know, borders are a little bit porous, naturally, when you're you know, bringing people home, mercy flights and such like. So, hey, look, here we are, and we got and look. We, you know, we, we uh, play the hand we're dealt. Yes, indeed. That's a good way of looking at it, too. Now, this program is all about finances and how to get the most out of your finances. Now, I know it's a bit of an unusual time at the moment. You're not currently at work in the office, so mm-hmm. to speak. But if we were looking for some sound financial advice before we get into today's topics, just remind our listeners where we might come. Well, um, when we move out of lockdown, we're always available at 204 Cadamu Road in Hastings, the Black Basel building with the Tarzan logo, and we're also available on the terrace in Wellington. But in the interim, look, anyone can phone us on 0800 878 And do you have a website, Nick, that's full of information that people can have a bit of a, a, bit of a look around? Uh, you bet we do, yeah, nz. And uh, look, we have, a, we have a blog, we have video content, lots of podcasts of you and I having a chat, Ken, and there's just a deluge of information to um, just help people make the right informed decision. And I think, like, at the moment we're in a COVID environment, people are a little bit nervous, there's a little bit of market volatility. Yep. Um, and, you know, hey, even the Reserve Bank governor blinked yesterday. Yes, he did. So, and we'll talk about that a little bit today. But, you know, this is the time to sit back. And as we put a little post up today on social media, uh, now is the time to sit back and search for the signal and ignore the noise. Now, you wrote an interesting article last week, and it was headed up the value of advice. And you made a great analogy about coffee and money. Tell us about that. Well... Look, you know, everyone knows about coffee or tea, and, you know, they're great at making a decision. It's just, you know, like, you know, if you want milk, you want sugar, you want it skinny, you want it large, you want it small, a Medicano, you name it. You know, a ristretto, everyone knows it's just second nature. But, But when it comes to financial consideration, a lot of people, it doesn't come naturally because it's not like ordering a coffee. And people don't even quibble about the price of a coffee most of the time. Um, but certainly when it comes to financial decision, it requires a lot. It requires further consideration. And because the decisions that one makes today, in 10 years' time, any mistakes, tax inefficiencies, 
misplaced cost structures, well, in 10 years' time, those small incremental mistakes, they can lead to quite a lot of financial stress down the track. I mean, you're quite right. Why don't people think about it in the early days? Um, I think it's, look, hey, we all live for the now. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's built into the human psyche. You know, we live for the moment. You know, most people are just happy in their daily life to get on. And most people think, and this is rather unfortunate, that if you contribute 3% to your KiwiSaver, matched by your employer at 3%, coupled with the member, member credit, the government credit, each year as a pat on the back for saving, finally the fourth element is the returns from those funds that you'll better retire at age 65 and life will be sweet. Whereas, Ken, you and I have spoken about this yes. before, and that, that isn't the case. Um, there was a neat little quote we used in that article the other day, and it was by the, um, the CEO of Starbucks, a, um, a woman of colour, um, Melody um, Hobson. And I'll just use a little quote because she said, if you understand how money can work for you and against you, you can make better decisions. Financial literacy is not about wealth. It's about understanding money regardless of the amount. It's about how you treat it and how you maximise its opportunities. And I think that just nails it in a nutshell. Yes, it does. And you've got another fascinating um, sentence in your article, and they, you're talking about 4% of an investment, and you put it into real terms. If a 25-year-old was to take financial advice, they will be $1.5 million better off by, they got to the, by the time they get to the age of 55. We can all understand that, can't we? We certainly can, and that was actually a published piece by the Financial Services Council of New Zealand, and it was just some really good um, metrics around why people should get advice because the value of advice allows people to have a little bit less volatility, a slightly better return. And it's not just a better return on capital markets, but it's a better return in the fact that most investors stay in their seat. They are invested, they are engaged with an advisor. And, you know, having someone on your team helping you like a coach, you just get a better result. We've spoken about it many times, and uh, you know a lot of people out there who are currently, say, younger, they're in their first house, they're mortgaged mm-hmm. up to the max, they've got mm-hmm. insurances on this, they've got insurances on that. Uh, they've got no spare money, uh, Nick, uh, and mm-hmm. I suppose that's the reality of it. How do you encourage or how can you tell those people, hey, you've got to start saving? Well, you start small, and the fact is that, for example, getting people to actually commence and not take a contribution holiday with KiwiSaver get them putting away the 3%, therefore then the employer matches it with the 3 But if they're already doing that, see if you can get it to be nudged up to 4 5 or 6%. And another really good way, and I've used this with a couple of uh, young accumulators historically um, when we're in the provision of um, retail financial advice and helping people out with their planning, and that is when they get a pay rise, a lot of people want to spend all of what they're you know, going to receive. Some of them actually borrow ahead of getting it. But what we say to them is we say, you know, if you if you get a $5,000 pay rise, why don't you put away every year two and a half, so spend two and a half and save two and a half. So, and if you did that over time, that you slowly increase your savings, um, savings rate um, over a period of time over your life, well, then it hasn't been too painful. It's not like, you know, pulling a plaster off the wound. It's just been very, very incremental over a long period of time, and it becomes habitual. And it's amazing the results that we've seen people achieve.
Yeah. I know you're a big fan of uh, people getting starting to save early, but do you think that uh, investing in your future, Nick, should that be part of the curriculum in schools? I mean, for, you know, from when, the day you start school, they should be talking to you about that sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, you're a character. There, it, it's so funny. So many people have spoken about this for such a long period of time, about that kind of financial literacy at school, and it's never really taken off. Um, I kind of wonder if it's sometimes because some of the uh, the teaching profession, you know, they that because they're not empowered with the knowledge, therefore they don't empower their students with the same knowledge. Um, There's some anecdotal global evidence to suggest that. Um, But but it would be good. But but then again, look, if you expect that school is going to deliver some of those monetary habits, then, you know, I also think it's a little bit delusional. Because I actually think it should should come from home. Yes, it should. um, Because most people's values and how they... Um, treat one another, um, you know, their, um, their uh, Christian values, so to speak. Um, I think a lot of that comes from home. And, yeah, I just don't think that everything should fall on the school. No, and no. I think it is, it, it is best done at home. And, and when I talk to some of the world's best investors in terms of if I, I get to meet them occasionally, but when I read about them, a lot of them, the early financial empowerment came at a very, very young age at home through discipline and, and and that kind of mental discipline and the sharing of knowledge and understanding and the forming of really good habits at a young age. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Absolutely. Hey, you know, what do they say? Charity starts at home. Sure does. Now, as yeah. we record this program, we're sitting in, uh, in lockdown uh, at level four, COVID level four. And I wonder, you know, I, for one, have probably been a bit complacent about uh, COVID-19 over the last few months. Mm-hmm. And we go, hey, we're out of this, you know, we're, we're on, the, on the road. Uh, but here we are, we're locked down again. COVID-19 and volatility in the market. Tell us about those two things. How do they fit hand in hand? Well, what we found last time, and this is when, you know, like COVID hit the world at the same time, whereas this time we're a little bit on our own. Everyone else is already kind of in it. We've been kind of immune from it. We've just been cruising along, you know, paddling our own walker, and all of a sudden it's hit us. So this time, you know, the the mentality of the average Kiwi, uh, we've been a little bit knocked. People would be, they'd probably, if, if you were to risk profile a, a an investor, a Kiwi a week ago, they probably would have had more risk on versus today that'd be a little bit risk off, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. So, you know, they might have moved down the spectrum a little bit over a week. But this time the markets are, are quite stable, whereas, you know, 18 months ago when we went into lockdown, the markets were in free fall. Yeah. So what happened then, you had markets being incredibly volatile, like, you know, steep decline, mm-hmm. and on a daily basis and continuing, and, uh, and you had people being very, very weary and thinking, hey, this time it's different. Um, you know, the sky is falling, whereas hopefully this time people have learned, um, yeah, they've probably learned to sit back and, and, and look at, look at it from a macro rather than micro viewpoint. And that was that word I, those couple of words I used at the opening of this session today. And that was look for the signal and ignore the noise. Whereas most people, you know, they're glued to the, um, they're glued to the podium of truth each day at 1 p.m. They're watching the news, and they allow that to flow through and potentially affect how they allocate capital. And, you know, most people, unless you're very, very, very old, most people are allocating capital for a very long term, like way past what COVID is going to do to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, look, 
But unfortunately, people, again, as we talked about earlier, people think and live in the now. And that's why it's great to have an advisor on your team just check in and say, hey, am I doing the right thing here? You know, is this really smart? Um, you know, is this in line with my goals and objectives and the goals and objectives of my, you know, of my family? Yeah. And quite often, some people, they revisit that at a later date when the volatility arrives and the wolf's snarling at the door. And then they're having to make a, a decision based on adrenaline. And then you get the fight or flight mentality. And that's not a good decision-making framework. I wonder, though, Nick, if we wind the clock back to the last COVID mm. lockdown, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised at just how well my KiwiSaver did during that time. <laughs> and it, it, looked, it didn't seem to go backwards at all. I mean, was that more good luck than good management, or can we expect the same this time around? Uh, but, hey, um, in fairness, and of course, you know, I, you know, as you've said on the show before, I've, I've, I've kindly given you some assistance with yours. Yes, you have. So, so it's a combination of luck and good management, because the good management was that, A, you weren't looking at your KiwiSaver balance every day and, you know, you know, living that, you know, fear factor, which is good because you had discipline and you understood it was for the long term. Um, secondly, you were continuing through payroll to add to your KiwiSaver. So you were dollar cost averaging, buying a little bit on the dips, which is beautiful. Um, but secondly, for us, um, with um, the KiwiSaver fund, we are fortunate to administer and the client relationships that we have. You know, people... People stay in their seat, and the way that the capital is allocated, you know, we didn't go to cash when the market dropped. We just continued to maintain the asset allocations that were agreed with the clients, and we were able to, um, you know, execute really well over a very volatile period of the market. And, hey, hindsight's a beautiful thing, but um, but certainly the strategy we had uh, worked very, very well for our clients. And also being available on the end of a phone to talk to people I think it's really important, whereas, you know, so if we look at the KiwiSaver clients that we look after, and, you know, we really, you know, we really value the fact that we are able to empower clients with knowledge. But if we look at, you know, the kind of, if you look at ratios between the number of clients that we would have in KiwiSaver and the number of advisors that we have to talk to clients, you know, we have a very low number of clients per advisor. So that means we can actually get on the phone and talk to all of our clients and have a meaningful impact. Whereas if I look at some of the big end of town, you know, there are thousands of clients per registered advisor. So on that basis, a lot of people are unable to get the human interaction and that one-on-one -on -one education element that we find so important. Um, so I think, Ken, that I, I know that's a long-winded answer to your question, yeah. but I think, it's a, I, I think it's a combination of things. Yes, it is. But, and certainly being local helps with clients, really does. Now, the, uh, the Reserve Bank, they didn't move on the official cash rate this week. I wonder why and what difference would that have made to our economy if they had of? Um, well, they were, it, was a, it was a difficult decision. And remember that you know, a lot of people believe that the Reserve Bank governor makes the decision. Well, that's how it used to be. But it's actually it's the decision to move interest rates up or down and by what quantum is actually done by committee, of which the Reserve Bank governor is one of those people. So it's a group of individuals, and and so this particular week, had had COVID not occurred, the market and economists were signalling that interest rates at the short end, the OCR, the overnight cash rate, was going to go up by between 25 and 50 basis points. So that a quarter or 
1%. Um, but because of the COVID announcement, the lockdown level 4, they elected to um, let sleeping dogs lie and they will revisit that again at the next policy statement announcement, which is in two months' time. So, look, they had um, to give them the benefit of the doubt. It was most likely it was the right move, uh, because if this was to snowball, there would be a material negative impact on the economy, um, and therefore you want people to remain in their seats. You know, yeah. you know, part of the Reserve Bank's uh, objective is to ensure, um, you know, um, price stability, uh, is to ensure, uh, and employment is also tagged in there. Yeah. So when you think, when you bring all those things into play, Ken, if you and I were the Reserve Bank Governor and we were part of the policy committee, dare I say it, I think you and I would have come to the same decision on Wednesday at 2pm. What though, Nick, if, um, I mean, they say they didn't move because of COVID, but what if they'd moved a week ago and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and they locked it in? What, what, what would that have uh, well, meant to the average person? Well, what that would have done, it just would have meant people were, they would have known that the cost of funds or the cost of borrowing was going to be greater. And it may have had some people say, actually, I'm not going to open my wallet. I'm just going to think about it a little bit more. Because what it does, you know, like if you lower interest rates, you have a positive stimulatory impact on the economy. If you increase interest rates, it has the opposite. So you just, you know, with a, you know, a, uh, a boiling pot of water, you're just dialing it back from, um, you know, from, from eight to seven. You know, you're just yeah. moving it down. So it's not boiling quite as vigorously. And, and, and look, you know, the, the overnight cash rate, OCR, is an incredibly blunt instrument, but for the most part, it is very effective at affecting uh, the economy. Yeah. Now, yeah. we're going to talk about uh, one of my favourite things I like talking about. Uh, <laughs> it's bricks and mortar. Jeez, this just trucking along, isn't it? <laughs> oh, mate, it is. It is. And, and look, I was looking at a, a statement from the uh, Reserve Bank Governor, uh, Adrian Orr, that was released this morning, just saying... Uh, what have I got it up here? It's uh, their comment in their NPS, their monetary policy statement, said that housing supply is now running ahead of demand. If supply is rising and demand is flat, then prices will fall. Well, of course, that's 101 economics, but thus far, it hasn't happened. Mm. And we've had a, and so, you know, again, going back to the, uh, the governor, the good governor, he said we've had a significant mismatch and we can't explain current house price levels. Yes simply through a supply and demand factor. So even the Reserve Bank is scratching its head on this one. Um, but remember, there's a thing called momentum, momentum theory. And that is that when a price gets to a certain point and it's had a run-up, it won't just stop at that point. It will carry for a period of time. It's like a positive euphoria. And there's been numerous studies done on behavioural finance around the world on both positive and negative momentum. So when you think about with housing, you wouldn't expect it to stop on a day no. and for it to revert. You know, it would be a little bit like a, I don't know, like an aeroplane. Hey, if you cut the, uh, if the propeller stops on an aeroplane, the plane will glide for a period of time. And one would expect that to happen with this. Now, Ken, something that I um, shared with you earlier in the week that was sent to me, I'd actually missed it on The Economist. We subscribed to that publication. Um, but it was something that, a friend emailed me uh, from offshore. He's a um, a finance commentator and former journalist. And it was a little wee graph where New Zealand leads the world. But unfortunately, it's something that I wouldn't quite, you know, 
It's not something I would pat myself on the back around. Yes. And that is that the real, pli- real price inflation on a year, so this is up until 30th of June, New Zealand leads the world with a, as you know, a massive increase in house prices that hasn't been matched by any other developed state mm. globally. And it's got to the point now where our prices to rent are um, basically 100% higher than the next country on the peer group that's measured. And so we are 100% higher on that metric than Denmark. And if we look at all of the developed world countries, our prices to rent, so that is house prices to rent, we're three times greater than the global cohort. Wow, that's unbelievable. Um, yeah, and, and the graph, when one looks at it, it it's extremely steep. And, it, I mean, it's an absolute outlier. So, hey, either, either New Zealand is unique and this time it is different, uh, or at some point in time um, our prices will follow what the uh, governor was talking about only yesterday afternoon at... Um, on Wednesday at 2pm, that prices will decline over a period of time. But certainly looking at the economist graph, the, um, yeah, for it to get back to normality, um, either our rent need to go up markedly, so people are going to have to pay a lot more for rent, or the price of properties need to come down. We're just about yeah. out of time, Nick, but I, I just wanted to, just a quick answer on this one. Is the Reserve Bank the only organisation that can really put the brakes on house prices? No, no, they're not. No, no, of course, the um, – and, in fact, the person that can really put the – or the, the um, organisation is government. Governments are the ones that can – government, both central and local government, uh, those two uh, organisations are the ones that can really affect house prices. Um, because the Reserve Bank can only affect what we borrow uh, and therefore um, people's actions in that regard. But uh, local councils can free up land for development um, through their policies, and certainly the central government can assist with that um, in, a, it, 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 um, in a massive way. But it certainly shouldn't be left to the Reserve Bank governor on his own. A quick word on uh, mental wellness or mental well-being. Yes. Yeah, we've um, actually we've got a piece, a very timely piece uh, that we're writing at the moment, which will be published over the weekend, and it's just talking about. Um, and there's a new term I'll share with you: the hedonic treadmill, which is like a theory stating that uh, people repeatedly return to the baseline level of happiness, regardless of whatever happens to them. So, in other words, if you won lotto this weekend, if I chatted you in about a, in about a year's time. And likelihood is you, built into your human psyche, you would still be striving to achieve. And likely that the lotto win, you would be, sadly, kind of back on that treadmill, searching and looking. So that's what what we've been talking about there is that the hedonic treadmill, we're saying that, hey, hoping for pennies from heaven in the form of an inheritance, uh, some sort of equity takeout in a business or winning lotto, for most people, in fact, it's actually better to focus on things like, um, you know, positive emotions, positive relationships. What's the purpose of of why you're here? You know, with your family, and you know the you know, and your personal accomplishments, which assist with your personal well-being. 
and your sense of pride or your sense of mana, that beautiful Māori word. So, you know, and the reason why we wrote this piece for this week is that there will be people this week in lockdown, people when they, I don't know, just when they have to stop and take breath, quite often they think about, they, they get off the treadmill and they say, hey, why am I doing this? What's really important to me? They have time to think. So, so that's why we wrote the article, and it headed up well-being and positive psychology, with a little bit of that behavioural element in there, with the um, with some nice little anecdotes. So we think it's quite timely because we know that people during the previous lockdown that some people did suffer, and some people came out of lockdown, and they were, I don't know, in simple terms, they were a little bit lost, mm. and some and and yeah, and some people. I don't know, they made career changes, life changes as a result. So, look, I always just encourage people to talk to one another, um, you know, talk to someone that you confide in just around, you know, your psychology, your personal well-being, and, you know, you know, reach out for assistance, which is, you know, that's what we do with people and helping them with their financial goals for both them and their family. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers. Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.